Hello viewers and listeners, both one or the other of the You, Me and ADHD podcast. Uh, this is another episode where we have a fantastic conversation with Ruth Muller. Uh, she is the Research and Development Marketing and Inventions Director, I think that's right, we'll soon find out, um, at Frucor Suntory. We have a fantastic conversation where Ruth is super open about uh, her upbringing and uh, about um, the way she's hacked and harnessed uh, her ADHD and dyslexia as well and um, what both and uh, either of those uh, have done to her, um, I guess, her career, her state of uh, being, her sense of herself. Uh, this is a fantastic conversation where um, we dive, duck and dive into a whole lot of uh, different topics and Ruth's really, really open and honest about uh, a number of things. What I think you've gleaned from this conversation is just this um, amazing ability that Ruth has to turn everything, every experience into an opportunity for learning and then to apply that learning. Like she stacks knowledge uh, and she looks for ways of implementing learning as soon as she acquires it. Uh, she's just phenomenal. Like it's an absolute delight of a conversation that we have. Uh, she gamifies everything. In fact, gamification seems to be uh, Ruth's modus operandi. Um, she talks about family history, uh, her journey um, in uh, diagnosis of both uh, dyslexia and ADHD, and um, how in her role as a leader, um, she needs to look for and harness um, the specialness that people bring, rather than hope that and expect that they can do everything right um there's some great life lessons in this one i think you'll love ruth's outlook on life uh, her approach to learning and how she um, harnesses her own adhd uh, notwithstanding the struggles that um that are that are obvious uh, she turns a lot of things into a positive so enjoy ruth muller and other people say it's in the shower, but it never happens for me in the shower. Hello folks and welcome to this episode of the You, Me and ADHD podcast. Uh, as you know, this is an, an unashamedly positive take on what it's like to live, work and thrive with ADHD. And uh, we've got a cracker today. Um, a cool conversation is about to ensue. No idea what uh, we're about to talk about. A couple of questions and then we'll see where this goes. Uh, but we have uh, Ruth Muller. We've just had a conversation about how to pronounce your last name uh, properly and I've completely forgotten uh, what you, you corrected me to do, Ruth. Uh, so I'm going to refer to you just as your first name now. Um, now Ruth is the, uh, what is your title? It is the Research, Development and Marketing Inventions Director at Frucor Suntory, um, which is a fantastic company marketing and uh, distributing and producing. Uh, lots and lots of beverages throughout uh, New Zealand, Australia, and you work for the New Zealand Arm. And I'm really interested in the inventions uh, aspect of your title, but I will allow you to jump in and uh, introduce yourself. Ruth, over to you. Welcome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, my name's Ruth Muller. I'm a Kiwi, but I was um, overseas for 18 years, mostly in Sydney and a bit of time in Germany as well. 
So I've always been in research and development. I've always been in fast moving consumer goods and I really love that. Um, so the at Frucor, the research and development and the marketing teams joined together mm -hmm. and became what we call the consumer team. So my boss has a marketing background. I have an R&D background. I have people in my team that are brand people as well. So I look after the research and development team, which is um, product development, packaging, regs, science. And then I also look after, um, I've got a, a small team, which is the inventions, which is um, a brand team. And that's focused on the future portfolio. Okay, of, of new products. Yeah, so it's what, 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 what do we think, where do we think consumers are heading in the future? Um, what do we see as the trends? What are the big macro drivers? And how does that then relate back to beverages? Mm. And then starting to think about what um, what new categories or new brands might come. Right, and because, you know, naturally I'm a bit biased, but I would say uh, that would be a magic job for someone with ADHD, would it not? Yeah, I absolutely love it. I think this is one thing where you you almost create the surroundings around you and you find yourself almost being led into different things. And, you know, when I look back, I, without, I, I was diagnosed fairly recently, but when I look back, I think that I've basically, this is the perfect job for me. Oh, brilliant. It's great when you land on something that you go, yeah, I'm, I'm made for this. Um, and it's mm. almost as if everything leading up uh, to this point was uh, a, a little step in the journey to get to this this perfect place of course mm. until it's not but right now you're in your element huh yeah yeah I mean I studied um uh I did chemistry for my undergrad and then I did forensic science but I realized part way through that that I can make a mistake and then the whole case can get thrown out of court mm -hmm. and I make mistakes so I thought I'm more of a speed to market than an attention to detail girl so yeah, I went down work. this path and <laughs> yeah it really works I love me. that I love that um so, so many things are firing off in my brain right now and trying to contain them um, around, okay, so what is your journey and and um, and also how do you, yeah, how do you, how do you thrive and, and um, achieve, succeed in sciences with um, that need to pay so much attention uh, to detail when you're quite easily distracted, um, just assuming that uh, you have a, 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 a a relatively typical uh, experience of ADHD. I'd love to hear uh, mm. your story, but also recognizing that the interest and that passion um, allows you to hyper-focus. So what was, what was studying like? Yeah, so I think I've sort of been a bit up and down with my studying journey. So um, my primary school was awesome. So I went to a, a small Māori um, school at the very top of the North Island of New Zealand and my parents were the only teachers there. So it was a very kinesthetic experience. I mean, they took the academic side pretty seriously and I was always, my little brother kept beating me on the PAT tests. But apart from that, you know, science was usually outside we'd be down in the mangroves or we'd be out on the um, barge crossing the harbour to look at fossils. So it was really good for me, my primary school life. And then I went to high school and it was just a, a disaster. So I I just, I, I've got um, the males in my family are very left brain, very mm -hmm. logical thinkers, very smart. 
um, whereas the females are more lateral thinkers. Mm -hmm. So I just found I was trying really hard and not getting anywhere. And there were the expectations from teachers and it was just so boring. I was trying to get that and in the end, like I just gave up a bit. And mm. then I went, I didn't expect to pass, but in the end, thanks to common sense and scaling, I managed to scrape through and thankfully my mum had filled out my applications for uni. So I went and did, um, I was going to do textile science because I, I really liked sewing when I was at school. Mm -hmm. I was sort of seen as an academic person, but I sort of gravitated towards sewing. That was really my creative outlet. Mm. And um, then I got to Otago and I'm like, wow, chemistry is really interesting. And I, you know, I really didn't like it at school. But I think there's one of the things with ADHD is what motivates you. And I think uh, two things that really motivate you is novelty and challenge. So mm. if something's hard, that can be really motivating. And I just thought chemistry was really hard. And for some reason, something clicked in place and I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. So at, at university, I tried really hard. I just pushed myself so hard and I disciplined myself and I, re I got through in the end. Um, but then when it came to working, it just... You know, I found this job that I loved and, and everything from there. I mean, there's elements where you need to really apply and discipline yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's always whatever job you have, you're always going to find those. But then you can get energy from the things that are easy and are natural to you. So I mm -hmm. think it's a combination. Sometimes the when I push through, I can find a way of, um, you know, I, I look for the enjoyment in things because yeah. if I enjoy it, it's easy. And if I don't enjoy it, it's like pulling teeth. 100%. So there are times when I really have to just suck it up and push through and discipline myself. But other times, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time it, it is easy once you find a way to like it. That's brilliant. Like I love that outlook and the approach that you've taken all the way uh, through there. I love that entire story from um, primary school, almost planting the seed with making science fun and practical and tactile. And, um, but also you talk of yourself, Ruth, as a bit of a battler and, and, and stepping up to a challenge. So where's, mm -hmm. when something gets hard, you double down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I look through your, um, your LinkedIn profile and the jobs you've had, like the titles, the roles, um, mm -hmm. they're, they're in some massive companies and there's a lot riding on those roles as well but I think also there's a lot of um, while there's huge responsibility just by by the look of the titles there's also the ability for you to uh, really hone uh, your um, your ability to be creative and to think outside the box or or, mm. or apply a different perspective would that be correct yeah yeah I think so yeah yeah I think um when I think about the different jobs I've had, um, sometimes you're you're in your wheelhouse and it's easy and you're applying things, and then other times you're in this growth phase where it's like you're just going really, really hard learning. Mm. And I think that sometimes when you step outside your wheel, wheelhouse and then back in and then out and then in, that's actually, you just get this massive growth. So you step out and you learn all these things and then you come back in and you apply them. Yeah. And I think certainly um, when I went to Germany for the second time, so I was um, 
the operations manager for the global savory team uh, at Unilever. And um, when I went there, before I went, I interviewed everybody around the, all the ops directors around the world. And I'm just like, what do you do? What is the job? And basically the job is pretty much defined as whatever it is that your boss needs. So it's a um, sort of a bit of a bag carrier role. Right. But in addition to doing the things that you're required to do, you're, you're, you're really well connected. So you're in this place where there's, and you can do whatever discretionary stuff you want to do on top of your core job. Mm -hmm. So when I went over there, I did the two things I focused on were comms and um, the other thing was portfolio analytics. Mm -hmm. And those two things were completely outside my wheelhouse. So it was just really, really hard. Yeah. And but I was just determined to just get as much learning as I possibly could out of that. Mm -hmm. And um, so it might take me, you know, I had to do my, I was doing my boss's PowerPoint decks and she, when she went around the world and gave presentations. But I mean, she was so amazing at doing them that, <laughs> you know, she could probably do a better job than me. So to be able to learn to do things like that, to sit mm. there, I used to spend two and a half days a month crunching data in Excel usually at about two or three in the morning. <laughs> so um, I learned so much from that. And then to be able to go back into an R&D role was nice, but I was able to go back at a whole nother level. Yeah. So I think, you know, I just get learning. I just love learning so much. Like I'm just so motivated by it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of ironic really for someone with um, – dyslexia who can't read particularly well that I just crave the, the content so much of the book yet uh -huh. it's so hard to do so yeah. it's like there's this battle so mm -hmm. I think I'm just constantly you know exposing myself to the different learning opportunities mm. and you know when it's hard I guess my body just labels that feeling as exciting rather than hard yeah. it's not to say that I don't have my times when I just feel like oh this is all a bit too much I mean I certainly do but I think it's a lot more it's 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 a lot more sort of unbearable for me to get into a place where I'm understimulated mm. and having to deal with that rather than to be in this place where everything's crazy and chaotic yeah yeah do you, would you agree that because as you were as you were talking there Ruth it's um it occurred to me that what you were doing when being exposed to either um, a different set of tasks or different roles or you were off um, say on a secondment or um, temporarily working on a project that that uses new skills that you have to learn you would bring those back to your core role and apply those probably in a way that um, many or most others wouldn't and I think mm -hmm. that's um, I think that's almost quintessential ADHD mm -hmm. is going okay how can I apply yeah. uh, apply this thing which nobody else sees a relation with and on the face of yeah. it it doesn't but I can I can do that and I think that probably comes yeah. from the fact that we just we have to hack life and we have to hack mm -hmm. the world and all the yeah. systems and whatever else and we just just to simply get by and even if it's to look like uh, we're coping um, but that's just natural and so we do draw links between things that aren't necessarily related so is that kind of what you yeah. were, you're doing there yeah I, I do think so and I, I think sometimes there are things that I see very easily mm -hmm. so sometimes I just instantly see what the solution to a problem is 
but there are other times that it really takes me longer than a neurotypical person in order to get it. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes as a result of that, I, sometimes maybe I know things, I understand things at a deeper level. So if I yeah. spend like, you know, three or four times as long on something than someone else. Mm -hmm. So I think certainly when I was in um, at university doing organic chemistry, we used to have to write out these reaction mechanisms. So you have like 10 lines of reactions and you've got to put where the electrons go in the reactions. And most of my classmates would memorize those uh -huh. and then go into the exam and just spit them all out. Hmm. But I couldn't do that. I mean, my memory is not, not, not so great. So I would need to actually figure out how it works. I would yeah. need to understand the mechanism. So I would be sitting there in the exam working it all out and then i get one electron out of like 30 wrong in the wrong place and then you get the whole answer sure. wrong yeah. but then as a result of that i have a level of depth of understanding of that that's a lot deeper and yeah. i think you know i've found that my whole career like you know understanding the financials is probably something that took me quite a bit of effort so i made a mistake to always sit down with my finance business partner and just get them to take me through and whenever i'm looking at something a presentation I'm trying to figure out, okay, what what can I possibly, what's the most penetrating question I can ask? Right. And <laughs> when I read, you know, it takes me like three or four hours to read the monthly financial report. My boss, my previous boss, it used to take him like half an hour. Mm. And so I look through looking for mistakes that the finance people have made just as a way to, like I gamify things. I try yeah. to add a level of interest in order to motivate myself mm. but i think when you when you understand things at that level then suddenly the connection connections just start to happen yeah yeah that's so so true and i really really love how you've pointed that out is by having to figure out how things work you understand it at a, at a deeper deeper level and so you lock in the learning whereas it's not just rote learning where you regurgitate and then maybe it's gone so you actually get things. And then you get to uh, think about, well, how does this apply in other contexts and other areas? Yeah, where have I seen this yeah. before? Yeah, and I think that that happens pretty intuitively. So I think, you know, before I was diagnosed, I used to say to people, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm below average with my conscious processing but I'm really with my subconscious processing uh -huh. I think that's where my real strength so what I do is I basically fill my my subconscious brain with all the data and inputs so I'm just constantly reading constantly talking to interesting people mm -hmm. I get like I just love it so I don't even try to it just does itself and then what happens is your subconscious just puts it all together and makes all the connections. Mm. Like I don't try to come up with ideas. So that I, I put the data in, my subconscious does the work, but then the other thing for me is, okay, well, how do I get it out of there? So that's one where over the years I've started to realize what it is that sort of switches it on for me and, and the ideas start flowing. Mm -hmm. So what, and, what is that? Um, Have you managed to sort of tap Yeah, because everyone's different, right? Some people say, oh, I go for a run and I think of X, Y, and Z, and other people say it's in the shower, but it never happens for me in the shower. But um, what, what it is for me, it's when I'm, when I'm inspired. So I find um, like sitting lecture about something completely unrelated to my idea 
if I'm feeling like I guess passionate about in life more than anything else is other people's strengths mm -hmm. so I get really like if I see like a young child doing really amazing gymnastics or if you see like a procurement person negotiating like whatever it is that's your strength I just sit there and I just get so blown away and I just love watching it so I think if I'm sitting in a really interesting lecture of some scientist having done some really amazing work then I'll just my mind will start wandering off and I'll just start coming up with ideas and that you know sometimes if I have a good idea it might be something that's just come up straight away or it might be something that's been brewing for weeks or months or years and then it'll just sort of start to come together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I get that you you almost loop back onto an idea and go I sense part of this before yeah. and then you build to it right it's almost like a um, you do loop back to it and it's a sense of or a state of readiness to pick that up and take it elsewhere yeah. and you certainly yeah. cannot control that you can't um, uh, you can't catalyze that make it make it happen consciously you did right it's it's in that yeah. subconscious yeah I love the way mm -hmm. you've gone through those three steps as well like you've um, you've got a, a an amazing sort of um, inquisitive mind the way you have have looked at and noticed the way you uh, you tap into your um, I'll call it tap into your ADHD. When were you diagnosed? Mm. Yeah, so it was um, coming up two years ago. I was diagnosed with dyslexia, and um, I I always thought when I went to Germany for the second time that was around about eight years ago. Now I actually wondered then whether whether I was dyslexic because um, in Australia, people just got used to me and it was like, oh, yeah, that's just... oh. We just had you cut out a little bit uh, there, Ruth, During... and uh, you still are. So I wonder yeah. if um, you can hear me. It was gonna... really so noticeable. Right, there we go. Uh, you're back. Now, um, if you just want to carry on, uh, with what you were saying, and we'll cut uh, this out so Jack will know to, sure. to edit this. But if you you were just saying um, about Australians, and then you were gone. Yeah, when I um, so I'll just I might just start again from sure. the bit which is how did I about diagnosis because yeah. I might lose my train of thought. Sorry, Let, no, go for so, it. Um, okay, so um, it was coming up two years ago that I was diagnosed with dyslexia and um, when I lived in Germany maybe uh, moved to Germany maybe about eight years ago that's when I first seriously thought that I might be dyslexic so I've got dyslexia in the family I uh, spoke to some cousins over there and I found like pretty much every day I was getting corrected with my spelling and everybody was just real nice about it they were trying to be helpful whereas in Australia people don't really care if you don't spell things so it wasn't so noticeable yeah so then I really started looking into it but when I read some books and it was a bit tricky to get diagnosed in Germany anyway because of the language but I came across something that said dyslexic people can rotate things in their mind and look at it from different angles and I'm like well I, don't, I can't do that so I mustn't be dyslexic but then when I moved back to I went back to Australia and then back to New Zealand and again you know I met up with another cousin that's dyslexic and I started talking to people and I thought, oh, I really think this I might have this. 
So I got the assessment, found out I was dyslexic, and I just happened to be jumping on a plane to the UK mm -hmm. uh, straight after that. And I pretty much just stayed awake for about four, 48 hours just reading and watching videos because, as, as you do, um, because I thought that dyslexia was having trouble with reading and spelling, but actually that's just of the iceberg it's this whole other way of thinking sure is. and that's uh it just blew my mind because i look back on my life and i thought everything both positive and the struggles is related to this mm. like things you wouldn't expect like being having a high level of emotional sensitivity so that was initially that journey and i'd never thought about having adhd before and there's all these associations about it with you know the naughty child who's jumping up and down in the classroom and then somebody said, somebody pointed it out and said, oh, I, I wonder if you might have ADHD as well. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe I do, but I don't think I need the diagnosis because I don't need the medication because I'm not that bad, even if I am. But then I went back to Sydney, caught up with a friend whose child had ADHD and dyslexia mm -hmm. and talking to her firstly made it pretty obvious right. that I did. And secondly, really gave me an understanding of what the benefits are if you do understand it and also, you mm. know, take the medication as well. So I went and got the diagnosis then, which was probably about three or four months after the dyslexia one. Yeah, right. It's very similar to my story, actually. And so I went overseas as an exchange student, went to Belgium and uh, had to learn uh, Flemish there, a, a dialect of Dutch. Uh, and I would do the same mm. thing with uh, letters over there as well. And never quite, I've never, never cottoned on to that um, probably, possibly being uh, due to dyslexia. But that, that made uh, that made the learning of the language very hard. Um, and, and so we've got very, there's, there's some big parallels there. Um, mm. It was just several months after I was, um, um, I knew I had uh, dyslexia that I was also confirmed with um, ADHD. And uh, tell me, mm. I, I mean, it's not it's not a competition. There's no comparison here. But when I had the uh, the dyslexia, it really pissed me off. That that annoyed me. It was like, how could this not have been picked up earlier? What you know, woe is mm. me. Blah 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 blah. Sob story. And then the ADHD was like, this is fantastic. Like this is this <laughs> makes sense. It's the complete picture. So, uh, had you, when you had the dyslexia diagnosis, did you think there was something else, or was it like this is enough? This explains a lot, given that you had done a whole lot of research. Yeah, it's it's really funny, actually, because when I got the diagnosis of dyslexia, I always thought, you know, I've struggled all my life with feeling stupid mm. because the, the thing is, it's just really confusing because some things that other people don't see and you think to yourself, at some level you're like okay that must be pretty clever but on the other hand these simple things that are just so easy for other people you struggle with mm -hmm. so I've and also having my you know my logical dad and my logical brothers and it's just always been a bit of a struggle to say well am I stupid or am I clever and when I got the diagnosis I thought that suddenly instantaneously I'd feel confident and good about myself and mm -hmm. I'm like wow this is still not happening why do I still feel like that so I think 
I sort of feel quite at peace with the dyslexia side of it. Like this has been a journey for me for the last two years and I'm still not out the other end of it yet. Um, but I feel I'm not quite sure at there is... peace with the sort of... Yeah, no, sorry, I was just going to cut in there. And, well, I did cut in um, and say, I don't think there, you're ever at the end of it. I think this is um, mm. like it's... It is, it's an unpicking, but also stacking and adding mm. to your life because the, we've had these brains our entire lives. Mm, yeah. um, and the difficulty for me is, okay, what is me coping? What is me masking? What's me hiding? Mm. What's me yeah. hacking, creating my own workaround? Yeah. Um, and, and what is naturally me? And, mm. uh, and, and that, that line is very, 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 very yeah. fine, I think. And so yeah. that's part of the, when we come to uncover ourselves a little bit more and, and discover uh, who we are, there's always this, I have this doubt of like, is this just made up or is this real? Is it, um, which which part of mm -hmm. me and which mm. which part is, is innately yeah. me and which part is the learned uh, me yeah. having to cope, mm. and, which has now become natural. Like I just, I can't tell the difference sometimes. Yeah, it's it's actually it's pretty confronting, and I think I, I actually think um, people say, "Are you frustrated?" I was forty-two when I found out, Same. and people say, "All right," <laughs> people say, "Are you frustrated that you didn't know earlier?" Well, firstly, you know it. it it wasn't really a thing back in the day, you know, mm. this is all pretty new. And I think a lot of the testing in terms of a lot of the studies on ADHD have been done on ch children, on males versus females. So how it manifests, it's, it's all quite new. Mm -hmm. And I don't really, I'm not really a regrets person. I'm really, a, okay, let's move on and get on with it. Yeah. So when I look back, I actually think that the, the, the strengths that I have, some of them are because of my programming and some of them are because life's been hard in some ways and mm. I've had to really push through. So things like my grit and my determination are among my best qualities. And would I have those if I had have had an excuse early on in my life? I'm not sure. So I'm just really like, you know, the, the dyslexia side of it, and I know you can't really separate it because there's an interplay but the fact that I make spelling mistakes and I'm a bit of a slow reader that doesn't really bother me because if I make mistakes and somebody's really I try I try at work and I use my Grammarly but if I make mistakes and somebody's really got a problem with that and this is coming from someone whose brother likes to write to the Herald and tell them where they find grammatical errors that's how <laughs> different we are Right. But if someone's got an issue with my spelling, then whatever, I don't mind that. Not mm. not my problem. But where I find it challenging is number one, I get really excited about things. Like what I read this thing recently about people with ADHD, where if something moderately cool happens, whereas a neurotypical something really, really exceptionally cool happens, like my level of enthusiasm is the same as that person would feel for, you know, yeah. if they'd won the lottery or something, but uh -huh. I've only just found some, uh, you know, I found some, having not been to the supermarket for 10 days, I found some, um, uh, sorry, just lost it a second, the cheese, the squeaky cheese. 
Oh, um, halloumi. halloumi. Yep. So I found some halloumi in my fridge and I got to make a salad and it was so nice. And I was super, super excited as if I'd won the lotto. So I get really enthusiastic <laughs> and excited about things. And I think that sometimes that can be overwhelming for people or sometimes I might, um, you know, just have too many ideas and we're supposed to be reining it in and I'm just getting all excited. And I, I sometimes I feel like I need a break from myself and I'm sure mm -hmm. everybody else does as well. And I think that's sort of one of the things that I struggle with. And the other thing is just, I have all these ideas. Like I think I'm real strong with the conceptual thinking mm -hmm. and I actually think I'm pretty good with uh, the operational stuff. So I can, I can get real organized and real planned and execute stuff really well. But the problem is the piece in the middle, which is the translation. And yeah. I just really struggle to do that. So it's like my, I, I know what I'm thinking and I know what I want to say, but I feel it and I experience it rather than having the words. So I think those, are, you know, there's a couple of things in there that I do find particularly challenging. Mm. I've I've got I've got goosebumps as you're saying this because you're you're just speaking my story and it's it and I that's not to not in any way to detract or minimize um, your story but for me that is like like this and this is the beauty of this um uh, this podcast it's it's like finding like-minded but also like experienced and lived um, mm. people and to go yeah that's because nobody else gets that. Well, not some people do, mm -mm. you know. But it's a, it's a, it's a very, yeah. very small number. And you're dead right. It's that translation. It's the bridging between those. Mm. It's like it's just that is that's that that's the work, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. No. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. The. Tell me then. How. How have you? Now that you have this awareness. Um, and some knowledge and you've done um, a lot of sort of deeper um, digging into some research the how have you hacked your ADHD is there any way mm -hmm. in which you've um, you've now drawn the link between ah that's ADHD and I'm going to do um, mm -hmm. more of that or even even just inadvertently how have you mm -hmm. used these these powers that that you've been born with yeah, and I do think I've been doing it my whole life, which I'm sure we all have, regardless of whether you're being diagnosed or not. But um, I mean, certainly when I have the idea and it seems really obvious to me, but yet I can't explain it to people, I think that in the past what I've done is I've just gone and executed it. So when, and that probably served me pretty well earlier in my career yeah. in that when I start working or I'm at a new company or new team, I'm not one of these people who comes in and initially makes a big impact, but over time people will realize, and that's yeah. because there is this delay. Mm -hmm. So it's not the, I can't come in and say, wow, here's all these awesome ideas. I've just got to do them. Yeah. And I think also working with other people has been a, a, a bit of a strength. So I think that's one thing I've done in the past is delivered. Mm -hmm. And then people get to see the ideas actually once they've come about. Uh, and then because the other thing I noticed, um, 
uh, Jody, who you were talking to last week, talked about the fact that there's no work-life balance when you've got ADHD. <laughs> and um, a lot of people I've come across have said that, like you can you can work 15 hours a day, night after night, week after week. And if, I think if people, like in neurotypical people don't understand that to the point where they feel sorry for you because they think, oh, that must be real sad because if that was them, they might not like that. Yeah. But I think for me, if I'm really interested in something and I'm having an awesome time and it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm really getting into it, then, you know, there's really nothing in the world more that I'd rather be doing. Mm. So I think that having the ideas and then just 10xing the execution of it means that you do have this delivery. So I think that's worked for me in the past. But then the other thing that I'm finding now is working with people. And mm -hmm. I think I've always worked with people, but it's it's so important. Like what I'm passionate about is not like, I would love to see neurodiversity, cognitive diversity, whatever it is, give, being given a lot more airtime. Mm. And this is not, a, not necessarily just about having more neurodiverse people stepping up but it's having an acknowledgement that there are different ways of thinking yeah. and neurotypical people and neurodiverse people are equally awesome. You just need to get interaction. Mm. So I think the problem is that a lot of the systems and processes are designed for neurotypical people, which is 100%. why we can sometimes struggle in that. Yeah. But I like I've surrounded myself my entire career with awesome left brain thinkers mm -hmm. and I need that like I have always done this with hiring I've always hired for diversity not sameness without yeah. meaning to so I've looked across the team and I'm like right what do we need and I've always gone to fill gaps mm. so I find um like one example I've done this my whole career but one example is, you know, this is going back probably 10 years or so, we put, we implemented SAP and I'm, I'm innovation, right? So I have a timeline, which is like maybe nine months, 12 months for delivering a project. And suddenly an extra eight weeks is going to be coming into my timelines due to SAP. And then when it was implemented, it wasn't eight weeks, it was 14 weeks. Of and course. I just couldn't, couldn't handle that. So basically I spent... Um, I spent nine months of my life deep diving into master data. And you might think that sounds boring, but when you're hyperfocused, when you can find a reason to be passionate with it, with, about it, which I totally did, suddenly master data was my hyperfocus. So it's what I was thinking about when I woke up in the middle of the night. Mm. So there was the, the person in charge of um, Im implementation and then there was me and it's like right let's let's get together and figure this out and we are the we were the complete opposite people with completely opposite strengths different ways of thinking and we came together and we figured it out together and she brought her strengths to the table and i brought mine like mm. you can't go to a marketing team and do a 90 minute presentation on master data you've got to keep it to maybe 20 minutes tops give them a cheat sheet make it fun make it easy and we worked together and then we got it down to five weeks. So that type of things happened my entire career. Mm. And I certainly, like I've got um, people I work with now in my team who are absolutely amazing. 
at this translation piece that mm. I struggle with. Mm -hmm. So I, I go to them and if I can just one person get that one person on board, they go away and talk about it. And I'm sitting there in the meeting, not saying anything. And then it's just, it happens. Yeah. So I think probably in terms of hacks, you know, my number one is very much about making sure that you're playing to your strengths and you're working with people around you that are complementary. Yeah, and the complimentary is the appreciating the difference, right? It's it's saying, um, here here are my strengths, here are yours. They're a bit different to mine. We would be would be amazing together. And it's and and why I say appreciating difference because the appreciating is active, right? It's not just noticing yeah. or acknowledging. It's actually how do we use this? Uh, yeah. And it's not a them and us. It's not neurodiverse and yeah. neurotypical. Uh, we need both, right? We're not going to get rid of yeah. either because both. Yeah. Even though you say both, like there's two camps, but there's like it, it's a it's a massive net, a melting pot, um, yeah. where uh, that exists in every single workplace, right? Um, mm. And and this is the thing that we need to harness is there's this there's this bubbling under the surface of these uh, of this neuro um, these neurodiverse minds that we haven't harnessed yet. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you know it's it's just untapped potential, and it's so easy for us yeah. to tap into that if we want to, right? And I think that's the thing: the system and the yeah. leadership needs to want to, yeah. And so, do you work yeah. in? Um, are, you, are your workplaces are they neurodiverse friendly? Are they moving towards that? Like, and and you don't need to drop anybody in it, but is you know what what do you? Yeah, I think I mean I find that. Sometimes you're neurodiverse friendly without realizing you're neurodiverse friendly. And I do think that my workplace is. So mm -hmm. we're really ramping up our DNI program and it's been really great. And we've got a lot of support for that within the com company. But I think regardless, uh, the, the culture itself is, I think it's really good in terms of appreciating people's differences mm. and letting people be who they are. Mm -hmm. So, um, one example is my, um, I was struggling to get something out at one point. Right. And um, I, and my boss said to me, you know, if you, if you don't want to use words, you can use pictures. And nobody's ever said that to me in my life. Right. And I think I actually had to figure out how to do that. So I think, you know, part of my learning journey over the last two years is realizing that I'm, a visual thinker because I didn't even mm. know, mm -hmm. for example, um, like, I, you know, I don't know my postcode and, you know, I've been here for about four years. I, if I do it subconsciously, sometimes I can write it down and get it right because it goes straight from subconscious to my pen and paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I think about it, I don't know it. And then my husband said to me, don't you just see the word, the numbers and read the numbers? And I'm like, no, do people see numbers? Do people see words? And I think, like I did this exercise um, with, I think it was Stephen Martin, but he said, you know, think of a tree. And okay, I thought of my tree and I could picture the, the tree. Mm -hmm. And then he said, think of a cat. So I thought of a cat and then he was like, think of that. Mm. And it's like, it just blew my mind. Yeah. And I was like, I could not, I can't see the words because you're like, okay, well, what font is it? And what size is it? And are they <laughs> moving? And like, it just, absolutely floors you so mm. this is something that i didn't realize that i did so i think just learning like i use canva to think 
So I use, I just play around. If, if I'm struggling to think of something, I use whiteboards, I use Canva just to think. And that's really helped me. Yeah. So I think having, I think my team, I feel like my team um, are really accepting of some of the shortcomings that I have. And mm -hmm. I think that that's really important with people that are uh, neurodivergent to like, if you think about strengths and weaknesses, uh, what I've used to find is people get you to do your weaknesses. For mm. the first few years in my career, it's like work on your weaknesses, but these are usually linked. So what happens yep. is that comes down. Absolutely. But if you actually get to the threshold with your your weaknesses, and then you focus on this, and everyone in the team does that, and they've all got different strengths, then suddenly you have a team full of, if, if I get world-class at that, you've got a team full of people that are world-class yeah. at different things, and you compensate for weaknesses. So I think Absolutely, and like, also the whole the whole sort of ratio goes up as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think if, if you, yes, there are certain meetings that you need to be on time with. Yes, there are certain meetings where you need to sit there and not be on your phone. And I get that. And I'll try really, really hard. And I'll go for a run beforehand so that I've dissipated some of my energy. But as a general rule, if if someone happens to find it 10 times harder than someone else to get to the meetings on time, is it really the end of the world? Or can you sort of make a few exceptions for people? Mm. So I think if we can, rather than holding everyone to the same standards, if we can make exceptions for people who are find genuinely find certain things difficult, then what you're going to do is you're going to have more neurodiverse people in your organization because often they get pushed out, like they either get fired because they're not doing their paperwork or they're a bit late or otherwise they are there, but they put all their creative energy into masking so that they're not putting it into adding value for consumers. Mm -hmm. And they might go and do their own business or startup because they can't find a system that works for them. Mm -hmm. So I think that if we can create an environment where we, everybody is becoming more aware of what differences look like and we're using people's strengths more and we're not getting so caught up in some of the weaknesses yeah. then you're actually going to be able to use the awesome strengths mm. that neurodivergent people have yeah. and i think at the moment a lot of that's going to waste mm -hmm. and you know if, if we could tap into that there's this huge amount of you know latent creativity and yeah. efficiency and effectiveness that we could pull in that is currently just going to waste. Mm -hmm. I agree. And these, and you've raised so many good points in that, Ruth. Um, where do I go? The, the one thing is, uh, is I think what we get measured on is the stuff that doesn't matter. And or we make a fuss about the things that don't necessarily matter, right? Um, and so there's a shift in mindset uh, in on, on several axes, I think. Um, one is okay. Let's let's have a bit of a let's give people a bit of a break, um, with the one caveat that ADHD might be a reason for me um, being late. Let's just say, um, but it's not an excuse. So I do mm, need yeah, to yeah. take responsibility for that. Um, yep. Yes, uh, a bit of slack would be good, uh, and if it's um, 
if I'm consistent in that then perhaps um, pull me up on it and let's have a chat and I'll figure out some ways or, or what we can do to um, to alleviate that but I do think that if that's what we're nitpicking on then uh, why is that so important uh, mm. what about the quality of the work what about the connections mm. what about the dynamic that you and I would create in a room mm-hmm. with a bunch of people when we're going we're completely stuck we don't know where yeah. to go yeah and to yeah. just go boom try this um yeah and, you know so there's it i think organizations need to uh figure out what actually matters and yeah. how much of this massive document of a job description which is just a huge catch-all you start to finish mm. type work where we're expecting everybody to be able to do all sorts of things um yeah. how, how much of that actually matters and of that stuff that matters let's go hard on that let's go yeah. really deep yeah. on that and some of this other stuff as you say let's share that with people who who love that and build our team around getting that done mm. rather than um, bring yeah. pe- build people down, build people, um, pull people down um, because they can only do this bit. Yeah, but they'll do that bloody well. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. One thing I do want to uh, just quickly ask: there is a brand on your t-shirt, and you have been strategically <laughs> sipping on a drink. Um, is that some some um, magic product placement? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I did. I did put the Boss Coffee T-shirt on deliberately, but Good. this was just a coincidence that I happened to have that here. Oh, is that, is that right? So what is that one? But yeah, this is no, Boss plug Coffee. It. Yeah? Okay. Plug it. What? So what, what flavor is that? Have you across this one? I haven't. No. So this is, um, so Suntory, we're, we're part of the Suntory group. So mm-hmm. Suntory has amazing um, coffee expertise in Japan and... Um, they've they make this product boss yep. and uh so we we launched this in australia and new zealand um a year or so ago so it's not like a it's not like a chocolate milk that's coffee flavored it's an actual coffee in a can yeah brilliant Cold coffee yeah i'm just going to close some of that down oh i don't want to do that i'm just um playing around with some settings and seem to have uh got rid of you there we go gotcha um yeah so and i, th- I love the bolshiness of oh i'm gonna i'm gonna you know <laughs> put some brand in. you should do that's the thing yeah um, no i certainly did um yeah i did make a point of putting my boss t-shirt on <laughs> good 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 so yeah. how can people get in touch with you uh ruth if um if you would like them to uh what should people know contact details what would you like them to get in touch with you uh, about are you recruiting for any vacancies at the moment or is there anything how can we help you via the podcast uh, yeah so i'm i'm on linkedin um i love talking to new people interesting people so i'm always happy to to chat to people on linkedin so that's probably the best um best place to get in touch with me very good last question then ruth if you woke up tomorrow without adhd what would you miss Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, for all the things that might be challenges, I just love it. I just love, you know, I love life. It's it's fun and it's interesting. And I just can't imagine, like, all, all the craziness, I just can't imagine not having it because yeah. I, I don't know, like, I don't really, I can probably be a little bit overly optimistic and that I'm a real shoot for the stars and if i reach the moon i'm happy as larry but i tend to be i just have this view that well 
yeah, that's probably going to work. I just, I'll just go hard as if it's going to work, like I'm overly optimistic. But I wouldn't really have it any other way. I'd rather, I'd rather think that it's going to work and then be confronted with the fact that it's not and deal with it then. So I think, you know, I just love the excitement of it. Like I used to say before I got the diagnosis that um, I'm a bit of a corporate adrenaline junkie. So I sort of jump into the deep end and then I drown for a while and then I start paddling and then I swim and then I go and jump in the deep end again. And I think that's, you know, that's pretty exciting. So I think I... I wouldn't want to have it any other way. Mm. That brings us full it. circle because you talked about, um, you mentioned the term gamify uh, earlier on, and I yeah. think that's that's what you've just described, right? It's um, you, you you do jump in, but then you go, okay, how can I gamify this? How can I hack this? What can yeah. I do? What can I bring to this as well? Yeah, well, it's all like, for me, it's all managing my energy. So when you talk about hacks, um, when I, I know I was talking with my, my HRVP probably again 10, 12 years ago, mm-hmm. and she said, Ruth, you're going to have to do something about your work-life balance, otherwise when you get to the more senior levels, it'll burn you out. And so I'm like, right, this is my mission. I'm going to figure this out. And I had a coach at the time because I was on a leadership program, mm-hmm. and she, up until then, everyone had said, oh, Ruth, you've got to slow down and, you know, don't work so hard. And she was the first person who stopped saying that to me because if you say that to someone with ADHD you just can't compute like no. what do you mean slow down what does that even look like <laughs> yeah I'm not even going so fast I, what she said <laughs> to me is it's it's not about doing less it's about managing your energy so basically mm. if you plot out on a piece of paper all the things that are important to you in life and then you look at what are you doing and what are you not doing and what are the tensions mm-hmm. You don't do less work. You just do more of the other stuff that you want to be doing. And then the work just goes down by itself. And then things like um, with managing my energy, I, if I've got something that's challenging for me, like sitting in an all day meeting, I'll slot in a meeting with, I used to have chefs in my team. So I have a meeting with a chef beforehand because just the very act of meeting with them just inspires me. So Mm. I've got heaps of energy. So I think things like talking to interesting people, exercise, uh, you know, whatever it may be, I just make sure that I know what I need and then I give it to myself. Mm -hmm. And if I do that, like I'm in a real good frame of mind and it doesn't really matter how, what you do or how hard you work. It's just, you know, do you know what you need and are you giving it to yourself? Mm. Because I think there's like, having ADHD, it's like a flywheel, right? So it's in constant perpetual motion. Now, if you say, if you try to slow it down or stop it, the whole thing just gets out of whack. Mm. So I think it's not about stopping or slowing down. It's about being conscious of what it is that you're doing, because I think that there's a susceptibility to do, uh, if you're not doing constructive things, you can then start to do destructive things. For sure. So making sure like the prison population is so high with neurodivergent people because and you know and i could have been you know i I could have been there myself if Mm -hmm. i had not channeled in the right direction so i think how i operate and how i also like to support other people with adhd is 
make sure that they've got sufficient things on their list to do that are that is productive and constructive and mm -hmm. then just let them go and don't you know you, you can't say slow down it just doesn't no, um, no have any meaning for us i guess you have um well we're going to get you back on <laughs> because you've uh, <laughs> now this has been amazing it, it it truly has it's um and it's not just resonating with me but i think this uh everything you've talked about we've gone uh we've gone deep we've gone wide uh, there's been uh an amazing array of things that you've um referenced you have uh, spoken of a number of things you've given us uh, tips you've given us insights as well not just into how your mind works but what you do with it and when it's not necessarily um, uh, positive or productive how you've how you've used that or or um, turned things a different way now I'm sure we could keep talking forever on a whole a uh, lot of things but this is going to be super useful for our viewers and our uh, listeners so I really really appreciate your time like I said I'd love to have you back on uh, Ruth and, um, and and go deeper on uh, some other things because I feel like we've just touched the surface like scraped <laughs> a wee uh, layer off there mostly I'm really impressed by the way rather than notice something and ignore it or try and hide it you go huh that's interesting what does that mean or what can I do with that mm -hmm. and um, the gamify I call it hack you call it gamify uh, the way you have taken that um, right through your life by the sounds of it and it does not matter whether you have a confirmed diagnosis of ADHD or not it's mm -hmm. am I this way what will I do with that? And you've always been curious about yourself. And I think that's the one of the utmost important things that we can do as humans is is, is to just notice and, and not just notice what's happening, but why we're responding that way. And for you, you take that the next step, which is actually quite rare, I think, to then go, what am I going to do with this? And I think, I think you're just... Um, uh, I'm really uh, impressed. Like I think you're a leader in this uh, this field, and I know some days you must have some rubbish days, but your outlook <laughs> your outlook is amazing, and it's pretty inspiring. So thank you so much uh, for all your insights, for your contribution, for your energy, um, and for giving us um, a really cool insight into your life and and your take on things, and for you know sharing some vulnerabilities as well. Um, love it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I've been really enjoying the um, the podcasts that have come out so far. So Cool. Very good. Well, we'll see you again soon. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the You, Me and ADHD podcast. Um, my hope is that it's been worth your time of some value, that it's been interesting or even enlightening, perhaps. Hey, if nothing else, I hope it's been entertaining. I really appreciate you showing up. You see... I really want to do some serious damage to the stigma and stereotype that ADHD is bad, uh, that it's wrong, and that those of us born with ADHD brains are somehow broken, because we're none of those things. And you can help with this too. If you were to uh, like, comment, or even share a link to uh, any one of these episodes, or the entire podcast, uh, just to one person, I'll be a happy little ADHD camper. And I love camping. I do.
So thanks for stopping by. Uh, I hope to see you soon. Uh, stay in touch. Get in touch in any way uh, you feel the need. And I look forward to chatting. Until then, peace, love, and heaps of impulsivity. Take care. Bye.